With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom. Simply visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate to make a difference today. And back with Greenwashed, uh, we have Peter Foster, scientist, North Otago, farmer, teacher, but a general all-around good bugger, coming back uh, for the fourth time to give us a bit of um, bit of a tutorial on more things, weather, Antarctica, and perhaps climate change, if you want to link it all in. So, Peter, welcome back to RCR. Look, you've been a great contributor in 2023, so um, we've really enjoyed your company as if our listeners. So um, let's start with where we've been chatting offline a bit. Let's start with these jet streams that you talk about uh, a lot. What what is a jet stream? Well, um, yes. To put that in context first, uh, I can understand why a lot of people think that climate change is, is real and it's to be worried about, because you get like last January in Auckland where they had a, a, a month of just constant rain, mm. unchanging, and it was blamed on climate change, but it's not. It was due to the jet stream. So. Perhaps we should look at what the jet stream is. And it's, it's not easy without diagrams in front of you, but perhaps we start with the idea that the equator of the Earth in that 30 north and 30 south, that central area of the equator, uh, is, is where heat is coming into the planet much more than it's leaving. So, uh, and then if we go to the other Stream to Antarctica between the pole and 60 degree latitude, it is losing heat much more than it's gaining. And so if we had no transport of warmth uh, south or cold north, then the, the planet would be very, very frigid down south and we'd be cooking in the middle. Oh. And it's to do with this transport of, of, of heat. Now, the uh, as you go across from the Equator, or perhaps, yes, we go across from the equator down to the pole. Uh, the Earth travels at different speeds, so we don't think about it often, but the Earth does a, a spin every 24 hours, and its diameter is 40,000 kilometers divided by 24, gives you a speed of just under 1,700 kilometers an hour if you're at the equator. And, of course, that's dragging the atmosphere with it. But there's a slight lag. The atmosphere being dragged is going a little bit slower than the equator, the ground underneath. And so if you're on the equator, you've got a constant easterly wind, and the main wind in the equator area is, is easterly because of that drag. The Earth's rolling over from west to east, and, uh, and the wind's not quite following as fast. So you get this easterly wind. Now, when you get to New Zealand, to about between Omaru and Dunedin, the latitude of 45, then the the um, the, the speed at which the Earth is travelling is, is about 1,200 kilometres an hour. And between there and the pole, it decreases very rapidly because at the pole, all you'd be doing is rotating on the spot for 24 hours. You'd have zero speed in any direction. Now, the problem is that the, the Earth drags the atmosphere around with it. And when you get to below New Zealand, 
the atmosphere being dragged by or being carried down from the tropical areas is being dragged at a faster speed than the land is moving underneath it. And so we get faster and faster wind speeds as we go below New Zealand. The mariners used to talk about the roaring 40s, which was good for sort of getting around the world quick. But they didn't like going further south because further south was the furious 50s and the screaming 60s. Because around the coast of Antarctica, the winds are horrific. And with no land to block the, other than South America, no land to block the passage, it is probably the most violent seas in the world. Uh, now, that, that wind speed, of course, as you go up higher, the winds increase because the, the land will be slowing. And even though the land's going slower, it'll be slowing the surface winds. But up above are the high speed winds. And, and that's uh, so between New Zealand and uh, Antarctica uh, is where we find the polar jet stream. Now, it, it does actually have another dimension to it in that the, the winds from, uh, say, 30 uh, degrees of latitude down to 45, the winds are generally coming uh, from the north heading towards the south. And below that, from Antarctica, the cold air descends on the Antarctica and it spreads out and comes north. So at this junction of about 40 degrees, 45 degrees, you get uh, the cold Antarctic air coming up and meeting the warm subtropical air going down. And, of course, where those two meet, you get rain and snow and winds and gale and everything. And we're... We sit on the verge of all of that. So the jet stream is where these two meet and go upwards, and it's typically about 100 to 200 kilometres an hour if you go up to that, that altitude. Yeah. Right. And so right now, here we are in December 2023, 15th of December, in fact, when we were recording this, you've got some interesting sort of observations right now. Um, do you want to sort of tell us about that? Yeah, well... Um, I've just been looking at the, the wind charts at the moment, and uh, there's a, a, an anticyclone sitting just north of, of New Zealand, and an anticyclone has anticyclonic, uh, anticlockwise winds. So on its western edge, it's up near New Caledonia, between New Caledonia and Brisbane, and it's bringing warm air from the North Tasman Sea right down towards the coast of New Zealand. Now, on the other side is a depression coming in, and depression has clockwise winds, and the two working together to carry that airstream right down to the coast of Antarctica. And it's crossing over the South Island at the moment, uh, and where the westerly cold air is meeting the air from the, the Tasman, uh, you've got this band of, of probably heavy rain that extends right down to Antarctica. It'll be snow further down, of course. Uh, so it is transporting this air right from the subtropics down to Antarctica. Now, we have had occasions when we had some snow a few months back when the reverse happened, and that uh, combination of highs and lows was bringing snow up from from the East Antarctica, right up over New Zealand. So these, this called meridional transport, 
and it, it's, it transports um, a lot of heat uh, in both directions. Yeah, if we go back, um, if we go back to 2010, because there's another factor about these jet streams. Or what they do is they determine where the highs and the lows form. And normally there's a, a pattern called a zonal pattern where they just meander gently around that latitude of 45, 50 degrees and they perform a block. They actually stop air going further into north or south and they isolate the Antarctic, the polar regions. But when we have low solar activity, then the jet stream starts to buckle and produce this big wavy pattern, which is called a meridional jet stream. This thing was a, a big wavy pattern. Now, if you get so many waves uh, around the, the, the globe, I think if you get five waves around the globe, then the, the tail of one joins to the head of the other and the whole lot becomes stationary. So they can sit. So you've heard of blocking highs. Well, blocking highs are when the jet stream is buckled and it's uh, become stationary and highs will sort of form and disappear and reform in the same spot. And that has several consequences. One is that whatever weather you're getting, you're going to keep getting for a week or a month. Uh, and the other is that where you've got an anticyclone, you've got clear skies, and so the sun comes in and heats the ocean, and you get a marine heat wave. Now, we've had quite a few marine heat waves in the last few years around New Zealand, and that's precisely because these highs are forming constantly over the same place, and, and so the sun is heating the water, and things get warm, as you would expect. God. Yeah, that sounds so much. To, uh, that, sorry, Peter, that that sounds so much more complicated than just spinning it all down on human emissions, doesn't it? Stop, oh, stop yes. driving your cars out, out of COP twenty eight, and this can be also so this all of this just like that doesn't sound oh, that look, simple the, to me. The, the atmosphere is absolutely chaotic, and anyone who thinks they can forecast, I mean, they can't even tell you what's coming in two weeks let alone tell you what's coming in 50 years. Quite ludicrous. Anyway, oh. about in, uh, back in 2010, I mean, these things are not new. Back in 2010, there was a, a jet stream carrying an atmospheric river from North Africa up to Moscow. And for a month, Moscow had a heat wave. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, on the reverse side of that, of course, Pakistan got deluged for a month, had enormous floods that carried on for over a month while this stationary high carried this atmospheric river. Uh, so there was another instance because these things get used by the alarmists, um, not for good reasons. There was a case a year ago in March last year where – uh, an atmospheric river, well, sorry, where they they put it through the media that there's been a heat wave in East Antarctica. It's 40 degrees warmer than normal. And, of course, all the alarm bells go, yes, the ice is going to melt. Oh. The sea level is going to rise. We're all in deep trouble with this. But what they didn't tell you was that 
the heat wave, two things they didn't tell you of crucial importance. One was that the, the maximum temperature over East Antarctica was minus 10. Now, minus 10, the ice is not going to melt. So there's no problem with Antarctica melting. The second thing they didn't tell us, tell people, was that the heat did not generate in Antarctica. It wasn't Antarctica getting hot. What it was was an atmospheric river that carried warm air from central Australia down over Antarctica. And so it's not... Uh, and the, the next thing about that is that if you take warm air and put it over in, in Antarctica, you're putting it in the one place on Earth where it was, heat will be lost to space at the highest possible rate. Mm -hmm. Because Antarctica, the atmosphere is only thin. The troposphere is only about nine kilometres deep. And you East Antarctica is about two kilometres high. So you don't have much space uh, before before you're losing it all to all that energy to space very, very quickly. And so the the um, the jet stream acts as a way of carrying warm air from the tropics into the polar regions and carrying cold air back up and cooling the, the central part of the planet. And it's a very uh, important um, thing in climate. And without it, the world would be much more extreme. I uh, so, never hear that mentioned as much, but you were talking of the heat wave, Peter, and uh, it was mentioned as recently uh, in my council as a couple of days ago yes. in the context of uh, rising sea level modeling and the fact that Antarctica is melting and, you know, Southland, we are in the middle, we are facing this. It's amazing how policy and planners and literally everyone has been, you know. It is. And, and the other thing with. The other thing with that, just Fred, is, is the selective use of data to make whatever case you want to make. You know, I've, I can't reconcile some of the figures I have. Some people tell us that the gravity measurements say that Antarctica is losing ice. In fact, what did they say? It's losing, it's losing um, 92, it's 92 uh, gigatons a year. 92 oh. billion tons a year. Uh, that sounds enormous, doesn't it? But, I mean, the, the other figure and, that was said was uh, ice sheet the size of 10 New Zealand's has broken away. Yes, but the thing about that saying things like 92 gigatons is it ignores the fact that, that the ice sheet weighs 24,380,000 gigatons. Uh. And if you take 90-something um, gigatons of that, it would take, well, even at 150 gigatons a year, which is what they're claiming, it would take 162,000 years for Antarctica to melt. So I don't think it's going to worry me. <laughs> I'm not going to challenge your maths. That sounds nothing I need to worry about, Peter. Well, uh, well the thing is that, that other people say that Antarctica has increased, and we get the same thing with Greenland, where you hear reports of Greenland's losing mass but the mass balance data carried by the, the um, Scandinavians shows that Greenland did lose ice from about um, 97 through to, to 10, 2010. Since then, it's been gaining ice and is, is, is only a tad shorter where it was uh, 40, 30 years ago. Uh, the Jacobshorn 
I'm not sure how that's how you pronounce it, but that major glacier in Greenland that was retreating for a while during that period, and you know, everyone got excited about the, the glaciers retreating. We're in doom, but it's been advancing again and building. Uh, so these things are cyclic, hmm. and we had the same thing. We're talking about the sea ice around Antarctica, and the the sea ice. It varied from 1986 was a low period of just under 18 million uh, square kilometres. And 2014 was a higher period of just under 20 uh, million square kilometres. And it's now dropped back. It's not back as far as it was in 1986, but it's, it's, it's dropped back a couple of million and of course, this is great cause for alarm. But two things: first, is we've only had a good handle on it for forty years. We haven't got any idea what the record is before that. And the other thing is that when it was advancing, steadily advancing from eighty-six through twenty fourteen, uh, uh, Professor Rennick got a grant of eight hundred thousand dollars. To investigate the idea that the increase was caused by stronger offshore winds. Now, what we have to understand about the, the sea ice is that when they measure the extent of the sea ice, any bit of ocean that has more than 15% ice is regarded as in the extent figures. Now, if you've got 15% ice, and that'll be particularly so for the few hundred uh, kilometres on the outer fringe of the sea ice as it forms. But if you've got um, 15%, you've got an awful lot of room for compression if the wind blows that surface ice together or for spreading if it blows it apart. So what we don't know is how much of the current loss is due to being compacted or not compacted or by warming. So there's a lot of guesswork goes on and, you know, looking back at climate things over years, you'd say a lot of things are cyclic. They have periods where they increase and then they decrease. And we don't understand all of the reasons why. It's very presumptuous to say, oh, this is due to climate change. Well, at the moment, the Antarctic sea ice seems reasonably stable. Uh, now, we, we mentioned last time, too, about a, an iceberg and what I didn't talk about then was was the fact that I talked about coming off the glaciers, the glaciers that are flowing out to sea. But in fact, the major cause of, of the, what they call the tabular icebergs is carving from the ice shelves. You know, the, the ice shelves are floating ice. Mm. So, for example, um, below New Zealand, we have the Ross Ice Shelf. And the Ross Ice Shelf is a huge area about the size of France, twice the size of New Zealand. And it's like a big, huge bay, like a V-shaped bay that goes right into Antarctica. And all the glaciers on either side of the V are pouring their ice down into the sea, and it's all joined up to form one big ice mass, which is about 900 metres thick, and extends right out to, to from Ross Island across the bay to give this ice shelf so you've got an ice front there, which is hundreds of kilometres long. And that just keeps moving out to sea. 
And of course, with with winds and and tide and storms, that starts to flex at various points because it's all floating. Now, the, in the past, uh, when we've had an interglacial, so remember the interglacials are the warm spells we get every hundred thousand years, and they last for about sixteen, seventeen thousand years, and then when you go back into the freezer, uh, all the previous interglacials, the Ross Ice Shelf is broken out. And they can tell it's broken out. They did a drilling program off the coast of uh, just opposite Scott um, Ross Island. They did this drilling into the sediments. And where the where the uh, uh, glacier is carrying sediments from the land, it picks up boulders and bits and pieces from the land and it gets out to the edge and it drops them onto the seafloor. So you get these boulders and debris that's come from the land. And then once the sea ice is broken out, then that stops, of course, and all you've got is the um, the normal sort of very fine sediments that get washed uh, through the ocean. So you see this band of quite different material every 100,000 years, except for the present interglacial where it hasn't broken out. Uh, and so it tells us that the other interglacials have been warmer than now, and if it breaks out, well, that's fine. It'll reform again in a thousand years or whatever. Mm. Uh, we shouldn't get carried away. We don't have to fear a warmer world. So, yeah, well, look, uh, there's all these things that lay people have no idea about. Um, certainly, the media doesn't want to uh, give us the the good news. They like to give us the bad news um, because it's not convenient to talk about. Yeah, more serious stuff, uh, more and stuff that's uh, the, the the honest brokerage of, of facts is is very awkward to find. You've given us a, a wee list of quirky little um, facts uh, that I'd like to go through too, Peter. Um, yeah, you know, some intriguing stuff about the temperatures in Lake Vanda, for instance. Yes, well, um, as I mentioned, just to remind you, Lake Vanda is about five kilometres long, about one and a quarter kilometres wide in the right valley, the dry valleys of Antarctica. And it's fed by this glacial, uh, this coastal glacier uh, coming down the only river in Antarctica called the Onyx, which drains into, into Lake Vanda. Now, Lake Vanda's got no natural outlet. So the height of the lake is dependent on the climate. And when the climate is warming, then the lake rises. And when the, when the, when the big freeze comes on, the no water goes in, and it gradually uh, sublimes, evaporates, and the the level drops. Um, so, in the last twenty thousand years ago, then the the lake level would have been right down, very low. Uh, and what happens is all the salt in the lake gets concentrated into the bottom oh. uh, bit, and then. When the when the when the climate warms, fresh water layers on top. It can't penetrate the salt layer, so it just layers on top. And what that happens then is the sun shines through and warms the water underneath, but that warm water can't rise to the surface, so it just stays there. And so you get this situation where you have the salty layer. In fact, there's several salty layers with differing times where it's been. Uh, the lake there was gone right down and then come back again. So you've got differing layers, salt layers at the bottom. 
But then the, you've got the fresh water on top and three metres of ice on top of that, uh, which melts around the edges in the summer, but uh, and reforms. And that was hmm, just as a side of one of the scary things when we first got to Vanda, in, in, which was late October of uh, 85, was that the ice that had formed, uh, you've got the old ice that's there always, and that's white as you'd expect it to be. But the stuff that formed over the winter just prior to us arriving was pitch black. It was like um, you were driving a tractor over this ice and you knew this is this has got to be three metres plus thick. But it was quite scary just looking into this black abyss uh, beneath you with no, no indication of depth and you know, you're just looking down into the, <laughs> the depths of Lake Vander. Um, yeah, so so that it's, it seems surprising to me that that uh, Trevor Chin had this program of measuring the heights of these lakes in the in the dry valleys, and with with uh, the climate warming at the time, Vander was rising at a net of 300 millimeters a year. Uh, but they never carried on that survey. After Trevor closed his program and retired, they never carried on. You would think, with everything being so focused on the climate these days, that and Vander being such a, a climate indicator, that they would have carried on there. But no, 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 no. Well, it's interesting. I, I think I thought you'd made an error in your your text to us. Um, you, know, you talked about the bottom of Lake Vander is twenty five degrees C. Yes, how could that, that's right. How could that, how could that be? Oh, well, that's due to being warmed by the sunlight going through the ice uh, in times when it's been dry. Mm. But you see, the rock is a very good insulator. Mm. Um, for example, we we had a, a, a deep freeze for Vanda, and our deep freeze was a hole in the ground that was about uh, two and a half, three metres deep. And uh, you know, like a small room that you climb down a ladder to get in, and they had made a an insulated cap on top. And I measured the temperature of that rock late in the season in January, and it was minus twenty two. So we, all we had to do was carry stuff down and store it with an insulating roof in the rock, and and it was a good deep freeze for the whole of the summer. So the rock never got warm. Uh, over the summer, and so it's a good insulator. So the same with Lake Vander, uh, it, it will have been, it will have warmed the rock in the bottom of the lake, and it just retains its warmth. So, so just to get a comparison, Peter, um, think of the ocean off where we live. You know, just say Fovo Strait, or just around the uh, forty-five south. What's the average sort of water temperature? Would it be eight to ten degrees centigrade? Probably, I'm not sure. Probably a bit, mm. maybe a bit colder, even a bit colder, even. So, look, uh, 25 uh, degrees is is right up there. I mean, it's uh, oh, it is. Pos- positively tepid. Yes, 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 it is. <laughs> get getting, it. getting down to it, it's also exceedingly, it's exceedingly corrosive. They, uh, some of the, uh, some of the scientists drop little things to the bottom of the lake to dredge the sediments or to pick up what sediments were falling down there. And they pull their thing up, and the wire had corroded. So, uh, so the chemicals that are down there are, 
not exactly friendly. <laughs> and so, look, there's a whole lot of facts, uh, but we're running short on on time. Um, the the other key point, well, an, an interesting point you make is that the lake, and you call it the puddle, never freezes at minus sixty. The Don Juan Pond. How could That's that right. be? How could that be? Well, so? the the um the minerals that are being washed into that uh, in the summer are mainly calcium calcium chloride. And when the concentration of calcium chloride, because calcium chloride is very, very soluble, and when the concentration gets, I forget what it gets to, but at a certain concentration, because any salt will lower the freezing point. So, for example, the, the sea um, in, in McMurdo Sound, the freezing point is minus 1.96 because of the amount of salt in the water, lowers the freezing point. So you get this Don Juan Pond and the concentration, uh, I, I forget what it is, but they they put a, because um, when you get back there in the spring, the, the lake is dried up, but they put a, an automatic recording uh, station that recorded the waves on the lake as well as the temperature. And that showed that, that there were still waves on the lake in the, it's only a little thing, um, or what would be the size of a football field or maybe a bit bigger. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it had waves on it right through the middle of the winter when the temperature was minus 60. So it showed that, that um, the composition of that was such that the water just didn't freeze. Mm. Well... As, as we've talked about, I mean, we, we're going to have to sort of wind this up. We've talked about um, a lot of intrigue. Uh, yeah, Antarctica is sort of the continent continent of intrigue. And, you know, we listen to news, news media that says uh, it, it's just uh, it's a it's a great indicator of of global warming. Um, they don't seem to say it's an indicator of much else. Um, and they haven't talked about, for instance, the West uh, volcano, Western Antarctica volcanoes. They very seldom talk about that. But, but Peter, um, in your knowledge, uh, how far back do you have to go to understand or or find that it it actually perhaps was iceless as a continent? I've read something that talks about four thousand BC. Um, there was um, animals uh, and, and and sort of. African um, sort of people perhaps found the way to draw maps of uh, Antarctica uh, and did that drawing on gazelle skin is the one I've read. Um, is that factual or do you think that's just just poppycock? No, I think that comes in the poppycock there. Yep. Uh, Antarctica glaciated 34 million years ago. Yeah, I thought that. Uh, it, it rewarmed for a period from 24 down to 12 million years, and then it froze it up again totally, and then went even further into the deep freeze five million years ago, right. and we haven't come out of that. You yeah. get these warm spells of 500,000 years uh, interspersed along that history, but uh, it's only these uh, interglacial periods that used to occur every 41,000 years now they're occurring every 100,000 years, and I don't think anyone has actually come to explain why it changed, but certainly most of its time is uh, is in the deep freeze where, where 
um, you know, you've got kilometres of ice covering the northern hemisphere countries. And um, so, one of the interesting things is that, that when they drill down through the ice, it doesn't matter where they drill, they can get the measure the date from today back through, you know, a couple of hundred thousand years. And you think, well, so that there's been no loss of ice in that time. It's not melted in that time. There's no temperature gap in that in that wow. drilling back through the ice. So it, it tells us that Antarctica hasn't melted. It's been there for right. at least five million plus. Yeah. And so, look, as, as we wind up, um, prognosis for summer uh, from, from Peter Foster, uh, you know, we've been told we're going to have this El Nino um, system throughout the country and, you know, that your your area is going to get very dry and where Jasper and I live is probably going to get sort of miserably cold and have dull days. Um, what's, what's your thoughts now? Because we don't appear to be quite having the um, conditions that they first expected. No, well... On, on, I got this farm in, in 1983, and from 83 through to, to 2000, we had severe droughts on a regular basis. Uh, one of them was so severe that by January, I had all my stock, bar about 300 ewes. The rest of the stock was grazing in South Otago, and I couldn't bring them back until June, uh, until we had some grass. Uh, but since 2000, we've only had one really decent drought, and that was just a year or two back. Uh, and even though we had sort of like 14 El Ninos in that time, uh, so what an El Nino brings is depending on the nature of the El Nino and on obviously on other factors. And the so the, the present one doesn't seem to be seems to be quite normal here. We've got plenty of rain at the moment. And, the ground's a bit hard, but it's always is at this time of the year. Okay. So um, I, I, I would not prophesy anything. What will be, will be. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. That's how uh, we have to think about life. What will be, will be. Um, we, th- we know that in certain things it could be a whole lot better with a whole lot of people saying less, like at COP28. But anyway, uh, that's for another day. Uh, Peter, uh, great to have you back on RCR's Greenwashed. Great to have you as a regular contribute, contributor in, in recent months because um, we we do learn, and I hope our listeners learn from your output. So um, let's hope we can have you back in 2024. Uh, and so may you and your wife have a great Christmas and a uh, sort of healthy start to 2024. Yeah, Thanks, for coming, Thanks yeah. for coming on. Thanks for coming on RCR. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to RCR Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or dislike what you're listening to, either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to two zero five seven. That's twenty fifty seven. Or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so connect with us today.